You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avzan, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Chul, here live on the Chai FM broadcast. And it's wonderful to be with you. Just 11 days, 12 days before the beginning of the Jewish New Year, before Rosh Hashanah. And want to please God talk about some ideas that we can connect to that can get us to think because that's really what the Fabringen show is all about but first let's start with some music specifically this tonight we have a Shweki concert here in Johannesburg it looks like the whole town's going there so let's start with one of Shweki's classics you did here on 101.9 Chai FM you're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM 101.9 Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Atzin, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Chul here, um, just a few days before Rosh Hashanah. And what's interesting, Craig, is that somehow every Chag this month coming up is on a Tuesday. Rosh Hashanah is on a Tuesday, Yom Kippur starts Tuesday night, Sukkot is Tuesday, and Simchas Torah is Tuesday. So many, there's not going to be a lot of uh, Tuesday shows. And it's interesting, each year changes. So, for example, last year... Whoever had Thursday shows never had to come in. <laughs> and if you, this year, all Thursday shows are on. So, um, the point is that we're going to try to, you know, cram in a bunch of themes that connect to the next month in, in this show and please God next week's show. And then we'll be off air for about a month. Um, so, a week ago I was giving a shiur somewhere and I was trying to talk about God favorite topic, right? You know, I'm, I'm in the clergy and the premise of my profession is that there's a God and we're supposed to serve him and come for guidance because hopefully I know a little bit about the Torah and I could teach you and we could talk about connection to the divine. But the problem was that the crowd I was sitting across wasn't convinced there is a God. Not necessarily a problem, just that's what I was dealing with. And no matter how many times we were trying to go different ways around the topic, we were walking against a wall. And then somehow the conversation evolved. And instead of using the word God, suddenly we found ourselves using the word essence. The essence of things. The core the essence. And a miraculous thing happened. Suddenly the conversation shifted because that word God was no longer a scary word. It didn't connote anything of people's perception and they were all able to agree. So I want to start the show by having an agreement, by, by cre- creating a baseline of, of understanding. And that is, can we all agree that in the heart of every human being, not only in the heart, in the mind, in the being, that there's an essence, that there's something that's you, that's not definable. You know, you'll always ask people, is your hand you? And the answer is, of course, yes. But heaven forbid someone loses their hand, are they any less them? If somebody has a heart transplant, are they less them? Even if they're getting different feelings that are unrecognizable, are you going to say that that person is less than? Are they less true to who they are? 
And everyone agrees that at the core of who we are, in the core of everything out there, there is an essence. There's something when you strip away all the layers and all the definitions, there's just pure being. And what's interesting is you see in various books that have come out in the past, you know, 50 years, how much we have to bend over backwards not to use the word God. And often they come to words like essence or being or just, you know, existence is the isness of life, that things are, they just are. Now, we're about to enter a month of Rosh Hashanah, the month of Yom Kippur, the month of very much godly ideas. You know, you're going to crown God as your king. Yom Kippur is all about the soul and forgiveness and oneness. Very seemingly abstract ideas. And for those of us who struggle with this concept of God, maybe, just maybe, playing the exercise with our, in our mind, switching the word God for a word like essence core, being, will allow us to liberate ourselves from our inhibitions about that whole concept. In other words, all too often, the word God was taught to us at a relatively young age, and whether it was taught wrong or we digested it wrong, it somehow created an impression in our mind that ever after, whenever the word God comes up, it connotes that original emotion. So whether, a, you know, the person was taught about this being with a big white beard that is just waiting to pummel you, that this being is just counting your sins and then is going to, you know, drop something at you, this being that is so aloof that doesn't care about what's involved, a being that's so petty that cares about everything and just and is vengeful, etc. All those concepts which are taught often by people who mean well and often by people who actually don't know themselves what, what to make sense of God. The problem is they imprint in the, the listener a impression of what God is and what God isn't. And then for the rest of that person's life, whenever they come into a conversation in which this idea of a creator comes up, this idea of a God, without the ability of being objective, they, they'll actually reject it because they can't be objective because the word God has a very deep impression. The word religion has a very deep impression and often a corrupted impression. I remember a while back in the community, someone says, Rabbi, I think we all need a detox from so many of the ideas that we developed um, in our early years. And unfortunately, that's often true, that we might know all the concepts or many of the concepts of faith, of Judaism, etc., of life, but the concepts were not digested in a healthy manner. They weren't given to us or we didn't process them in the correct and holistic manner. And therefore, forever after that, those ideas don't have a good taste to us. Think of a person who, you know, was abused by a religious being, somebody that was given a very harsh reality of of what God is. I remember counseling a student who came from a from a school in which God was really taught in a very, I'll be honest, a, a, a horrific manner 
that uh, if you stub your toe, it's because you did something wrong and God is waiting to punish you. And all day, every day, you have to ask yourself, is God happy with what you do or is he unhappy? Because if he's unhappy, he will avenge his fury on you immediately. And literally, this kid shows up at school with an absolute paranoia of anything religious, an absolute paranoia of God. I actually wanted to call the former teacher and just like scream, but I realized I'm just going to be talking to the wall. What are we doing? So that kid, the second they hear the word religion or God, they're going to run for the hills. But the problem is that the word God was corrupted in the process because that's not who Hashem is. That's not who God is. That's not what religion's all about. It's people using those concepts as agendas to further their own agendas. Think about radical, you know, terrorists. You can use any concept to, to further any pathetic agenda. So God wants you to behead people. God wants you to um, scream at people. God wants you to coerce people. God wants you to, I don't know, jump off a roof. Now, who's talking there? It's not God. It's a being, a human being, who is trying to use this wonderful concept that seems so powerful and almighty and use it to further their own agenda of the way they think the world should run. As I one time heard, God created the human being in his image, and ever since then, the human being has been aiming to create God in their image. We create God often in our image of what we want God to be. So the opening you know, conversation I would love to have with you is, let's ask ourselves simply, our ideas of God, are they pure? Or for some reason, have they been corrupted by an agenda over the years, whether our own or somebody else's, that no longer can we actually hear the word God and have the sweet, loving feeling that it's supposed to come with? Ask ourselves, before this new year, can we reinvent or detox from the old negative baggage that these beautiful words unfortunately have attached to in our psyche and seriously let it go feel free to be part of the conversation our sms number is 34519 our whatsapp is 0618951019 this is 101.9 high fm and as we said today is shweki day for the concert tonight so this is a new song your time here on 101.9 high fm you're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtsan here on High FM. Feel free to be part of the conversation by SMSing 34519-061. WhatsApp is 061-895-1019. How do meal services, hospital lifts, kids care therapy, recuperative spa treatments, and cappuccinos come together under one roof? They, those are just a few of the ways the DL Link supports over 780 cancer warriors. And you are the key. Help the DL Link open their door for a lifestyle support center by supporting and donating to their charity fundraiser this Thursday. From midday on Thursday, 30th of August until midday on Friday, every donation to the DL Link will be tripled. Make your difference. Go to dllink.co.za to volunteer and donate. Um, or donate. It's been incredible actually witnessing the incredible work of the DL Link. 
um, people in my community and just meeting the volunteers and the passion of this organization. It's absolutely incredible. And although there are many worthy charities out there, I would definitely encourage all of us on Thursday afternoon to give something to the DL Inc. who take care of whoever is not feeling well. Unfortunately, cancer doesn't choose one family over another. It's it's there, and we all know somebody that suffered or is suffering, so let's go out there and help them. So let's go back. Let's talk about God. You know what? Let's replace that word God. Let's talk about essence. At the core of everything, there's pure being. Now, if I would tell you that 100, 200 years ago, you would struggle to even visualize it. One of the gifts of modern science is the ability of uh, for us to visualize and actually see it, how everything is nothing. <laughs> um, that at the core, everything boils down to an essence. So, for example, I'm sitting right here in front of a beautiful, beautifully shaped table. And if I was a physicist or if I had the tools of a physicist right now, I would be able to look at this table and claim with absolute comfort that this table is 99.9% hollow. The problem is if I bang my hand onto the table, which I won't, it's going to hurt. So one level of perception is that this table is solid, pure, full, wood. Then there's an entirely different level of perception which says that pretty much this table's hollow. And not only is the table hollow, I'm hollow. Right? Craig, if you go digging into yourself and you sit there looking at all the atoms within you and all the neurons, etc., they're pretty much mostly hollow. So, on the one hand, everything seems real. On the other hand, what is real? Just because my eye is tricking me to see something, and it is a trick because it's all about light and color and the way the eye works, etc., to create a reality and memory. So my memory tells me that's what a table is, etc., and I'm, I'm, I don't claim to be a scientist. So I'm not going to go into the whole uh, mechanism behind it, but the, even Science 101 starts telling us that what we consider to be reality isn't reality. And every few years we discover of like a deeper level of reality. Well, you know, first it was atoms, then there was lower levels, and eventually they came to Planck scale. And then they come to string theory, and deeper and deeper they go into literally the, the size of thing they're talking about today is unimaginable to the naked eye. So, for example, if I told you right now that there are millions of insects climbing your nose right now, if you didn't um, study that in science, or if you've never seen that, it sounds like the craziest idea. What do you mean? My nose is clean. I just, you know, I had a shower this morning. But when they start showing you this, the insects the size of, that a naked eye cannot see, and literally you have to magnify it thousands and thousands of times, and suddenly you realize that your nose is literally crawling with insects, and so is the whole universe, you have a whole different appreciation for what reality is or isn't. We love making sense of what's real and what isn't based on what we can see. So, therefore, often the conversation when, when we talk about God with people, the conversation is, if God is here, why, why can't I see it? Why can't I see him, her, it? 
In other words, sight is the definition of something's existence. But you'd imagine by th- that by 2018, that argument at least would fall apart because pretty much almost all of what is out there is not seen in the naked eye. So yes, we might have heard that a scientist saw it in a lab, but 99.9% of us have never seen it. And we'll never see it. And yet we, we walk around with this faith or with a knowledge that it exists. It reminds me of a beautiful story that someone one time came to a great sage in, in Eastern Europe about 200 years ago. And they told the, the sage, I don't believe in God. And the sage says, tell me, have you ever been to the city Leipzig? At that time, Leipzig, which was in Germany, was the center of commerce for Eastern Europe and Western Europe, etc. And he says, no, I've never been to Leipzig. So he says, do you know if Leipzig exists? He says, Rabbi, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that Leipzig exists. And the rabbi says, how, do you, how can you say that with such confidence? You've never been there. Maybe it's just a myth. And maybe all the people coming back from the so-called town of Leipzig are just selling you a narrative. And maybe all the TV that you're watching, which is telling you that, you know, what's going on in Leipzig is just there to fool you. I mean, conspiracy theorists love this kind of stuff, right? And he turns to the sage and he says, dear sage, please, my brother is not a liar. And my brother went to Leipzig. And if he says Leipzig exists, then Leipzig exists. And the sage turns to him and says, do I look like a liar to you? Trust me. I know there's a God. (laughs) Now, how to understand that story, whether, you know, the sage is claiming they saw God, I don't think that's the point. The point is the sage had this absolute conviction and knowledge that, that they were able to see a deeper reality. And without a shadow of a doubt, they know of God. God is no longer a theory. It's a fact. The problem is we we have an easier time trusting someone in the lab than we have of the great sages throughout history. You know, when Moshe says he saw the back of God or when the God reveals himself at Sinai and through the prophets, etc. And yet we still struggle with that concept. And we have to ask ourselves an honest question, and that is, why are we so comfortable to trust some things that our eyes don't see and other things we don't? Most of the stuff we believe about science are things we never saw. You go to a doctor, and most of us have no medical degree and very little medical knowledge, and pretty much the doctor says that this medicine is the medicine that's going to heal you. You don't sit there asking for a analysis of how this antibiotic is going to clear your earache. You just take it usually. Or if you know, if you're more of a you know natural, you're going to go to the natural, and you're going to sit there taking the natural medicine, whatever it is. The point is that we're very comfortable to believe when you go on a plane even today after some crazy plane stories in the past few years you're pretty confident that the pilot's going to land you safely now you've never spoken to the pilot you haven't gotten to analyze their credentials but very much we we give ourselves over to this idea called faith it's and it's fascinating how literally we live our life in faith i'm right now sitting at the second floor of a building and I can guarantee you that there's not a shadow of doubt and a shadow of fear in me that the floor won't cave in under me. Now, Craig can't guarantee me right over here that the floor won't cave in. Floors have caved in. But I'm living with a basic premise of faith, of something that I don't know about. I know nothing about construction. I don't know the mathematics of how hard the steel is. But the point is, I trust that the system, and I have faith that 
if it's been working so far, it's going to continue working. My argument is that if we're so comfortable in faith in so many scenarios, why can't we be a little more comfortable in faith in God? And obviously for those of us who don't struggle with faith in God, I guess I'm just, I'm not talking anything relevant. But I'll be honest, I think most human beings, even the most faithful, often have doubts. And I'm talking to myself, that's the truth. Talking to myself at those moments that we struggle to connect to the intangible, to remind ourselves, even if we don't have to use the word God, the idea of essence, the idea of the core, the idea that we are not our brain and we are not our heart and we are not anything tangible, that we are something beyond definition, we just are. And that essence is the godliness within each and every one of us. And the essence of every single thing out there in this world is the essence of godliness within them. And literally, that is God, essence, everything. God isn't a definable being. He doesn't exist in one space versus the other space. He's no more in the heaven than he is in the earth. He's there. And because our eye is used to quantifying things, you know, so, for example, Craig right next to me, you know, good-looking guy and normal proportions. I can make sense and I can look at him and say, okay, that's the size. But with God, on the other hand, I struggle to make sense of proportion because there is no proportion. So therefore, if we can let go of the definitions of the eye and definition of the mind and reconnect to the fact of absolute truths, this idea that there is an essence, and no matter how much we talk about this essence, we know that we're just limiting it. The essence just is. There's nobody in this world that doubts that at the core of this world is a deeper reality. So if you're not comfortable with the word God, meanwhile, then use a different word. But that essence, that core at, of the of this universe, it's at that core the, the, that created the world, that keeps the world sustained. And it's to that essence that we're going to come in a week's, uh, in a few days' time, and we're going to say... Let's have another year together. God, rule over this world again, and we're committing to, to work with you to better this universe that you created. Let's allow our mind to let go of its limits of, you know, of how to define things and reconnect to something more substantial and something more real. Think about the concept of love. Okay. Can you touch it? Craig, can you define love? Can you give me the the mathematics of love? How about respect? Can you define that? Passion. Energy. Connection. Compassion. Mercy. Humility. All those beautiful concepts that we try to raise ourselves and the people around us with, can you touch them? No. Can you define them? You could try, but ultimately you won't get to the ultimate definition. And yet, they are there. And I guess the biggest mind twist idea is that the more something is real, the harder it is to define. It's the realest things of this world that are the hardest things for us to touch and define. This table isn't real. As we said earlier, physics shows it's not real. But respect Israel and love Israel. Ask anybody who loves their child, and they'll tell you love is real. 
but they have no idea how to explain it. They can't give you why they love their child. They might, you know, go into some nonsense biology that they're perpetuating my DNA into the universe and therefore I love them, which sounds like absolute hogwash. That means even if it's true that they are perpetuating DNA, that's not seriously at the core of your love to them. I really hope not. Uh, first of all, that's very selfish, and it actually sounds like you just walked out of a laboratory. Um, love, respect, all those concepts are so real, but yet they're so hard to, hard to define. Because in life, realness often is what you cannot see. And what seems to be real is actually not real at all. Because physics proves that whatever we see is not real. And everything is based on, uh, you know, our eyes perception and our mind's perception and light. So nothing is real. What's real? The intangible. Those things that are not quantifiable. The things that aren't here and not there. There just is. Love is real. Every one of us hopefully has tasted love. If, if not every day, then a few moments of our life. The taste of being loved and the taste of loving. And if we haven't, it's, it's heartbreaking. And although none of us can tell each other how to define love, we know it's real. Because the more real something is, the harder it is to define. And therefore, this whole concept of let's defining God is an oxymoron in its own. Because trying to define something which is, by essence, undefinable, you're trying to take something real and in many ways make it unreal. Why would you do that? This is 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM, Rabbi Levi Avzan. And gosh, we went a bit, um, maybe flying a bit high today. Forgive me. Um, we're talking about this concept of God and how actually the more you try to define it, the more you're escaping and the more you're running away from it because definitions are only for things that you could fit into a lab, things that can be quantified in words. But when it's essence, all you can say is what it isn't. In the words of Kabbalah, there's Yedias Hashlila, knowing what it isn't. So let's talk about what God definitely isn't. God isn't judgmental. God isn't radical. God isn't spiteful. God doesn't wait just to punish people. God doesn't sit all day waiting for you to trip so that they can, he can actually, you know, celebrate your downfall. God doesn't have hasn't created one way to serve him. He allows diversity. Now, I could go on and on and on. The point is that there are certain things we can be absolutely sure that God isn't. But knowing what he is, I don't know. None of us can know. How can a mind which is created, and by definition, our mind, as long as it's in our body, is only able to think of things that it can wrap its head around. And our head wraps around things that it can understand and can quantify and can box in and can, you know, give some mathematical equation to. Our mind cannot go get around the abstract. And that's why, you know, often people who are, you know, total conspiracy theorists are not exactly, you know, intelligent fellows. They don't 
care about the mind, and they're able to go to absolutely crazy ideas. Now, many people will say that faith is the same thing. It's not true, because faith versus conspiracy theories, um, faith is not letting go of the mind and avoiding it. It's allowing the mind to take you as far as the mind can go, and then acknowledging that the mind has its limits. It's not... Let's put it this way. Faith has nothing against intellectualism. This whole war against intellectualism out there, um, you know, that today that's become rampant around the world, personally, I don't think is a very Jewish idea. Judaism has nothing against intellectualism. It has something against intellectualism th- that is the, the, the be all and end all. When there's nothing beyond intellectualism, when there's nothing beyond the brain, then yeah, we have a big issue with that because who can claim that the mind can grasp everything when the mind cannot even grasp the basic things like love and compassion. But using the brain for as much as the brain could go, that means even there's elements of God that even the brain can acknowledge, obviously not the essence of God, but the idea that the world didn't randomly come into existence. I think a mind can get their head around the idea that we just, we didn't just come by a random explosion that randomly by mistake, by fluke, you know, over billions of years, randomly turned into monkeys, which randomly turned into human beings, which randomly, you know, turned into various religions, which randomly showed up where we are today. Uh, personally, I don't need faith to believe that, that God created the world. I would need faith to believe he didn't create the world. Because I think the evolution th- idea um, demands more sacrifice of my intelligence than faith in God. This idea that this whole being and this conversation that we're having right now and everything out there is just a fluke of history that just could have happened and could have not happened and there's no intelligent design to it, I find that ridiculous. In all due respect. In other words, I'm not judging the person who has the idea, but the idea at its own seems to me quite strange. How do you make sense of that? How can you make sense that when at the core you know for a fact that this world is meaningful? At the core, each and every one of us is trying to make the world a better place because we believe that the world is going somewhere. We're not just a fluke. We're not just a bunch of, you know random beings that there's unsupervised and technically can be destroyed tomorrow if an asteroid hits the, the straight at the at planet earth i struggle with that i struggle with this idea the point is that this idea of god that our mind can get around but there's many ideas of god that our mind cannot get around and that's when faith comes in to know that the mind is not the be all and end all the mind is simply a tool just like the heart is, just like our body is. And if we use it to its maximum, we don't neglect the mind, we don't disrespect the mind. The mind is created by God and it's beautiful. We're not anti-intelligentsia. But we are anti-brain as be all as end all. We are anti-emotions as be all as end all. You know, I feel something. You know, the famous expression, just going on a bit on a tangent, when they say that if you're not a communist at 20, you have no heart, and if you're still a communist at 30, you have no brain. So most people who are communists at the age of 20, they feel right. It feels right. Let's be honest. Communism feels much better than capitalism. But that's a perfect example where feelings, if they're not, you know, grounded in absolute truths, will take you astray because a lot of the feelings we have, you know, a person can have a feeling that they they want to be disloyal in their relationship. What's that supposed to mean? Control your feeling. 
So the mind as be all as end all, the emotions as be all as end all, and anything else, that's, that's pathetic. But when we're able to use the mind and the, the emotion to the extent that they exist, and then be able to say, and beyond that, I consciously walk into faith. I'm not walking into faith because it's opium of the masses. I'm not walking into faith because um, I'm looking for, you know, life to become more simplistic. On the contrary, I think faith makes life more complicated and, and challenging. You know, you now have to, you have to grapple with ideas like how can a good God do certain things, etc. It's much easier to just say that it's random occurrence of existence. I've never really believed in this idea that religion is the easier convenient route. I think atheism is as convenient, if not more convenient at times. And the idea to be able to just let go of our misconceptions about faith and God in essence and to be able to just walk into it and as we sit in the shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to be able to allow that feeling to take us over that idea to take us over that essence to take us over to almost let go and just allow the experience to take us over I think that would be an incredibly impactful and meaningful Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur for each and every one of us this is 101.9 Chai FM here on Soul to Soul you're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, time to wrap up the show. Um, so tonight and tomorrow is a beautiful day in Jewish history, Chai Elul, the 18th of Elul. And quite a few things happen on this day, but specifically I want to focus on two of them in the last few minutes I have. And that is number one, the Baal Shem Tov was born, and number two, um, one of his disciples' disciples and, the, and somebody who really took the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov to a new level, the author of the Tanya, was also born on this day, about 50 years apart, plus minus 47 years apart. And this day has come to symbolize in many Jewish communities the idea of that the Baal Shem Tov and his disciples try to teach the world I mean, there's so many of them, but specifically in the topic that we spoke about till now, the idea of feeling closer to God, that taking God away from, you know, allowing ourselves to talk about it. In other words, many religious Jews have never felt comfortable talking about, you know, God, and therefore just keep it aloof. But really having this conversation and trying to grapple with it and trying to understand as much as the mind can understand, and that's what Hasidism is, the ability to really push our minds to the limit of how much of godliness it can understand. Some of the ideas that are taught in the thousands of books out there um, are extremely intellectual. I mean, all of them are, but some of them really challenge the mind to really grasp the head around ideas of God because, yes, we're supposed to understand God as much as we can. We have to allow not only our faith to be connected to God, but our mind as well and our heart as well. And then davening and, and praying and allowing all those ideas in our mind to penetrating our emotions. The point is that this is the time of year that we focus on God. So in the spirit of tonight, um, Chaya Lul, the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov and the author of Tanya, it's a perfect time to maybe open one of their books, open one of, the, maybe open the Tanya or open the book of the Baal Shem Tov and challenge ourselves to detox from various ideas of God that have inhibited us and held us back from truly moving on and opening our minds to new ideas 
and the ability to reconnect to a God that is so not the God that unfortunately so many of us have been taught that he is. So not the God of judgment and the God of hate and the God of vengeance. So not the God that's sitting on Rosh Hashanah just waiting to berate us. No, 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 no. Not that God. Open a Tanya. Specifically, the second section of Tanya, Shara Yichud Vemunah, the section on unity and faith. And maybe, just maybe, your mind will grasp as much as it can a much more beautiful idea of God, of essence, of reality. Wishing you and yours a wonderful day. A See you tonight at Chweki. And Shana Tova. Have a great one here on 101.9. And again, we finish off with a beautiful song of Shweki from not the recent album, the one before that. We Are a Miracle. 101.9.